we've got the young uh, undergraduates starting in a couple of weeks' time, and the kind of isn't so much, it isn't IT, right? It's just stuff. And it's mm. stuff that they yeah. use and they've grown up with because this year is the first year of intake where every, more or less everybody coming up was born in the 21st century. On today's podcast, we talk to Mark Farrar, CIO of Newcastle University. Welcome to Tech Talks. My name is David Savage. This is the technology podcast that publishes twice a week, interviewing technology leaders, both to get their insight for the peer community, but also to share news and information about technology if you're interested in the sector. Hope you enjoy the show. Joining me this morning, Jack Pierce. How are you? Very well, thank you, David. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the autumnal weather. I, I, I know I, this might sound really odd, but I, I do quite like this time of year when the leaves start to turn and fall. And I know it's been raining a lot, but it's there's something, you know, you're beginning to get into that dark run up to Christmas. It's, it's January, February that depressed me. This time of year, I actually quite like. I couldn't agree with you more, David. I mean, other than the amount of sheer greyness we're seeing this week. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I like it when we change from summer to autumn and from winter to summer. My only thing is when about four or five years ago, it, then we got nice long autumns, whereas now it just seems as though summer's lasting longer and winter arrives sooner. And I think that's because of um, some nasty things happening to the atmosphere. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's yeah. not in the news at the moment, that stuff. So. We certainly seem to accelerate from winter yes. to summer. Spring is very short. Yep. And autumn, autumn is just kind of, well, I'm not entirely sure what autumn is anymore. It's just this yeah. kind of quasi thing that stops being summer and then is winter. Yeah, it's just sort of like it's a couple of weeks for the clocks to change. That's what autumn seems to be like at the moment, you know, <laughs> getting ready for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the changing of seasons, especially in England, is always, always a lovely thing. And do you know what else happens at this time of year? Um, you start getting your outfit ready for Halloween? Freshers weeks up and down the country in the last couple of weeks. That's very true, indeed. Um, can Look you remember, at that, Jack. Can you remember who you saw at your first Freshers week? Because I can. Oh, uh, act-wise, yeah, it was the Venger Boys. <laughs> oh, that's, that's cooler than mine. Mine was, is it Eliza Doolittle? Nothing sweet about me. Remember that song? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Up, I'm trying to remember. Is that the same I mean, song? I don't know. Look, so we both went to the same university, as regular <laughs> listeners might know. Uh, I'm trying to remember if, if Venga Boys was my freshers week or like freshers week in my third or fourth year. Ah, uh, it was either, either, freshers week. Either way, Venga Boys is the one that sticks on my mind. The other, the other, the other act that I saw three times at Essex wow. was Coolio. <laughs> Wow. I mean, if there's ever a gangster's paradise, it is Wivenhoe campus of Essex University. Mate, I, I saw him perform that at Colchester College, right, in front of about five people. What, sixth form? Yeah, yeah, because they were part of the students' union. The union yeah, yeah, yeah. got sent down there for their, like, summer ball thing. There, were hard, there was hardly anyone. He was playing to about five of us, and he acted out a whole, like, gunshot thing and ran around the bar. It was just bizarre. I mean, good on him for still putting the performance on. <laughs> anyway, anyway, look, Freshers' Weeks are happening up and down the country, Indeed. and a Freshers' Week will have happened at Newcastle University, which is the focus of our tech talk today. So, Why, hey, man! Aye, can he? Um, 
<laughs> that sounded bad and I'm a Geordie. Uh, anyway, never mind. <laughs> um, look, uh, please do enjoy this interview with Mark. Stick with us afterwards. Myself and Jack will have some thoughts. And then we have a really interesting piece of technology news later on in the show. So on today's podcast, we're joined by Mark from Newcastle University, joining us on the line all the way from probably the best city in the world. And I'm not partisan when I say that at all. Um, <laughs> how are you, Mark? <laughs> I'm fine, David. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, how is how is the northeast today? The northeast today is uh, started nice blue sky and has gone become increasingly grey and overcast, but it's not uh, it's not raining. Oh well, that's good. I mean, people have this misconception that, that, that the northeast is wet. It's not wet. It's, I mean, it's quite cold, but it's pretty dry. So uh, it's good uh, to hear that it's not raining. It's comfortable. It's comfortable temperature. So we we get around. Yeah. Uh, so look, you're at Newcastle University. Do you mind just telling us very quickly what role you fulfil there? Yeah. So at Newcastle University, I've been chief information officer for the past eighteen months or so. Um, I've not been uh, I've not been uh, here for a very long time, um, but um, I'm here to lead the IT group through uh, through uh, the, uh, delivering the kind of services that um, a world class university like Newcastle needs. How big is the university now? Because I've always had it in my mind. It's, it's funny because look, I've I've always alluded to the fact that I am from Newcastle on the podcast. Um, it's one of those things that when you grow up in the northeast, most of my school friends we all look to places like Leeds University because you kind of want to get away from home. But it ignored the fact that Newcastle is a really strong university. But it also means that my knowledge around it, I'll be perfectly honest, is a little bit missing. So let me give you some scale statistics. We have. 28,500 students, mm-hmm. uh, and that includes postgraduate taught students, people doing master's degrees, business degrees, that, that sort of thing, and, and undergraduates. Um, we are heading towards 20 plus percent of those students coming from overseas, so outside, and that's, you know, outside the European Union as well as the UK. Uh, we have 6,000 staff, roughly split split evenly between professional service staff who look after the administration of the university and make sure everything operates to support the 3,000 staff who are the lecturers and researchers uh, who operate here at uh, Newcastle. We're structured into three faculties, uh, science, agriculture and engineering, humanities, arts and social sciences, and faculty of medical sciences. Newcastle University is a big medical school, big medical centre, adjacent to a big hospital there, uh, the the local trust. Um, And one of the reasons why Newcastle University exists is it started out as a medical school back in the 1850s. Yeah, funnily enough, that's the one thing that I do know. I've always known that in terms of getting your hands on in a teaching hospital with the RVI and the general... Uh, and the Freeman, you've got some fantastic teaching facilities and, and experiences that you can get there as a student. Absolutely, and Newcastle's really strong in a number of other subject areas, uh, not not just medical sciences. So we have mm. you know, great computer science here. Um, Newcastle's been fortunate. Uh, we're just putting the finishing touch, touches to a, a large building uh, called the Catalyst, which will house two national innovation centres. So we host the National Innovation Centre for Ageing and the National Innovation Centre for Data. Uh, mm. And Newcastle's the only city in the UK that's won uh, support for two innovation centres and that we build that. And they'll be housed in the same building because we think there's a big uh, a synergy and relationship between 
uh, understanding how to uh, mitigate and media, uh, mediate the uh, uh, effects of aging from understanding and being able to analyse uh, data related to how we live. So uh, those two things are going to work side by side. Now, I think it's fascinating that obviously you've got those innovation centres being built. You've obviously got medical facilities with everything that that entails. So huge amounts, I suppose, of R&D uh, needed. You've got the general student population that I guess will have very similar demands of technology to general consumers. Uh, and then staff who will, I suppose, have the demands on technology that most people in most businesses across the country would have regardless of sector. So as a CIO of an institution like that split across numerous different sites, it must be a real challenge to know where to prioritise. So one of the things I've been telling people about is and I've worked in large industrial chemical company, global chemical company. I've worked for the National Health Service in the UK, uh, uh, right at the centre of its big IT programme at the start of the century. Uh, I've worked for large tech companies. Um, I've worked for uh, uh, you know uh, or the, another university uh, for for three years. And um, what's interesting, looking back at the different sectors, uh, is that and uh, comparing them with higher education. Uh, higher education has a number of really interesting features. First one, which people don't kind of recognise, but our customers, the students who pay to come to university are inside our network and they come with all sorts of gadgets and things inside our network. The second thing is academic freedom means that you can largely study and choose ways to study things at, at, your, at your own discretion. And so if you can find a better way of doing it, that study, that research, or that investigation, then we'll try and support you doing that. So our, our users have huge choice and flexibility. Most corporations would kind of go, here's your beige box and you plug it in, you connect it to the Wi-Fi and off you go, you know, get on with it. At university, we give people far more discretion about um, what, they, what they can use and what they need to use. Uh, and that, I think, probably makes higher education IT the most demanding kind of IT on the planet. Out of interest, do you think that slows you down or speeds you up? Because I suppose you, you could make an argument for both. I don't kind of recognise the slow down, speed up. The, the, the university has a rhythm of business and cadence which kind of runs around the academic year and we're about to go into registration. So that's the year that we've had... Mm. We've had uh, you know, the, the A-level results, and we had, you know, we've had great outcomes from that, and lots of students are coming uh, in, in about um, a, a couple of weeks' time to register. And um, uh, <clears throat> then we, you know, we have that first semester, and we, we go into, uh, for the other years, we go into the you know, sort of mid-year exams and then you know, rush through to June, and then you have an you know, intense period of research and collaboration activity, and then the new financial year starts and then we do lots of stuff over the summer and then it all starts all over again. So there's a cadence to that, which is extremely mm. regular. Uh, and, uh, but otherwise, then you've got to contrast that with sometimes, you know, research projects will last for years. Uh, and yeah, maybe, maybe along, you know, you have to produce papers and, and research results, but actually the, you know, the research program may last for a very, very long period of time because some of this stuff is... You know, really difficult, and it, you just the answer doesn't just pop into your lap. So um, there's an interesting sort of balance between sort of speed yeah. and, and and change. You know, sometimes it has to be really quick. Sometimes it's a bit more. You know, 
I suppose what, maybe maybe articulated a little bit better, but kind of thinking about the fact that you've got a continual renewal of your customer base with new students coming in all the time who have new demands and expectations that could force the rate of innovation to you've, you've always got to march to the beat of a certain yeah, drum no, because that you, you get new people coming in every autumn with, with as i absolutely. said demands. i mean it's one of the again one of, one of the differentiating things i can't think of another industry where um each year you would we have about 40,000 users. I said, talked about 6,000 staff, 28,500 students, but there's a whole bunch of other people that come and go you know, around that and, and, the, and the PhD students are adding to that. Um, so there's about roughly just short of 40,000 users in our directory, as it were. And every year we delete the best part of 12,000 of those accounts and we add another 12,000 of those accounts. So that's, I don't know any other industry that does that. Um, you, you wouldn't normally have that kind of churn in your directory because your customers are inside your network in, for most organizations. So what projects have you been working on recently to try and make sure that the university's systems and platforms do actually deliver what those 40,000 customers are expecting yeah, of it. But, but, uh, that's one of the other interesting things. He's coming in and picking up uh, the reins of a large and stable IT group. Um, you know, first, the first mission is keep the lights on, don't drop any of the spinning plates. Um, and what you discover is that there's huge amounts of projects that are going out. You know, there's almost every part of the university wants something new. So we are about to begin the journey uh, to, to you know uh, to select a new virtual learning environment, for example, which will touch every student and every member of the academic staff. We've just implemented a new research support system. We are in the process of rolling out a new HR system. We are we'll be underpinning our finance system with a new database te technology from from uh, uh, from the vendor that we we currently use. Um, we've implemented storage in the last year to address some uh, you know some deficiencies in the storage network that we've got. We're about to start replacing large parts of our uh, uh, wireless network across the campus and some of the wired network across the campus. That's a kind of, with a campus the size of, of, of ours, it's a kind of almost a fourth bridge problem. You know, you, you've, started, you've finished painting one end, you have to start painting at the other end again. So that's kind of ongoing. And there's other things that are coming out of the woodwork, like the way that we interact with students and give student access to IT is something we need to take a really good, uh, a, a good, uh, careful look at, and, and think about maybe new ways of doing that. Part of our teaching enhanced learning roadmap is to take a look at how we uh, how we support students through their study here, um, and uh, you know in other places, how do we deliver them applications? How do we make sure that they get the access to the application at the right place at the right time with the right version of the application? Mm. So there's almost nothing that's completely you know. You know, stable in, in that respect. So we've got a lot, lot of change on. And the university does things like, um, you know, we've got a new vision and strategy which we launched um, uh, late last year uh, and have, have elaborated on as the year's gone on. All the current plans for this new uh, new academic, new financial year, 2019-2020, uh, 20, are based on delivering that strategy. And one of the you know, key pieces in that strategy is becoming a, a environmentally friendly university and, uh, and a much greener and much less carbon emissions. Um, and when you think about that, you know, the, talking about travel policies and, and things that go with it, 
we inevitably start talking about, so how do we do video conferencing, how do we do unified communications, how do we do, uh, you know, uh, integrated email to instant messaging to uh, support, uh, you know, users collaborating without necessarily jumping on an aeroplane or jumping on a train or in a car. So there's lots of things that um, we're looking at at the moment. Sorry, from a demand point of view, like when I started, you know, I mean, sadly, it's getting on 16 years ago now, but when I started university, technology was a technology department, whereas now I guess you must have some of the most demanding customers imaginable mm-hmm. because they may not look at it as being a technology department. They may just expect these technologies to work without really thinking about it because it's all they're ever used to. And they're not nuanced in, you know, when you when you work for a large corporate organization, you have to get used to, well, well you know, budgets. and You know, as an inside employee, you kind of get what the culture or what the challenges are that a business faces, whereas a student might not have the same, I suppose, understanding of exactly how a university works when they arrive. We do, uh, universities today do quite a lot of um, outreach before students get here to give them preparation for life at university. We, we, we kind of, you know, when I went to university, and you can add another 16 years to your 16 years uh, from when I was there, um, you, you know, when I landed uh, in, as it was in Liverpool and um, everything was printed, we didn't really have, and we had computers, but there were huge things in the back of uh, some data centre somewhere, and you had a terminal with a big clunky keyboard to, to access them. Um, today, everybody's got more power than I had access to in the 1980s, uh, carrying around in their pocket or in their tablet. Um, yeah. and, and there was almost no, none of that support. It was it was a complete surprise in that transition, and thankfully, you know, 30-something years later, we're way beyond that. So now... The outreach to students coming up to university happens before they finish their first year of A-levels, continues throughout the final A-levels, and when they get into the uh, application and offer stage, there's yet more information that comes to support them through that. So we have a really good student support uh, unit and student Mm. support uh, experience as they come up to university. So they are a lot more aware than you and I might have been about what life's going to be like at university when they, when they get here. But nevertheless, what the, the, the behind your question is is um, a real uh, de- you know, dilemma that we have to deal with, which is we have members of staff you know, um, uh, that, um, like me, grew up uh, in a period of time where you know, the information technology wasn't as pervasive as it is today and we need to support them. And at the same time, We've got the young uh, undergraduates starting in a couple of weeks' time, and the kind of isn't so much, it isn't IT, right? It's just stuff, and it's mm. stuff that they yeah. use and they've grown up with because this year is the first year of intake where every, more or less everybody coming up was born in the 21st century. And everybody coming up grew oh, God, up. that makes me feel old. They <laughs> <laughs> grew up with a device Sorry. in their hand, you know. And it, you, you yeah, just yeah. kind of, that suddenly pulls you up and you have to think about that because they don't see it as IT. It's just stuff they use to do what they do. So look, you've got this huge challenge in terms of this very varied demograph, which will make for an interesting culture, and a huge amount of challenges positive ones but challenges across numerous different sites and different systems and different applications of technology you're looking for some people at the moment to help you on that journey what what who are you trying to bring into the university at the moment it groups in universities and i, I you know sit on uh, 
sit on a, uh, the organising committee of a Russell Group IT Directors Forum, which um, so I share experiences with my uh, counterparts in other universities like Oxford and Cambridge and Manchester mm. and Leeds, and so we talk about these things. Um, and one of the things that we realise is that uh, university IT has tended to move quite slowly in, t in, in the way that it reorganises itself to address the changing and evolving needs of the institution that it serves. Uh, it tends to be quite conservative, it tends to be very reliable and very stable, but it also tends not to have followed the in-source, outsource, re-in-source, reshape yourself, digital, digitize yourself kind of tra uh, transformations that certainly fast-moving consumer goods to a large extent, the financial services industry, you name it, whatever industry sector, even public sector, and I was part of that sort of change in transformation in the National Health Service, you know, t uh, 10, 15 years ago, um, university IT hasn't done that. And so we, we kind of mm. get ourselves into a, into a place where we're still doing the same things that we were doing 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and that's sometimes not appropriate. So we're looking to kind of drive what I call evolution of the IT services at Newcastle. And that's going to run a bit sort of more rapidly to start with for a few years, and then it'll kind of settle into a pattern and leave us with an organisation which will continue to evolve to meet the changing needs of research, uh, teaching, learning, and the student community. So that's kind of where, where we're kind of heading for the next few years. And we're looking for a couple of individuals in particular to help us uh, shape and drive and implement that as we go along. I will make sure that there is a, a link in the show notes of this podcast so that if someone listening kind of goes, you know what, an environment like that, as diverse as that, sounds like a fun challenge. They can get in touch and uh, put themselves forward. And, and I can tell everyone who's listening that despite me having left the Northeast 16 years ago, it is the best place on earth. Not Yorkshire, Mark, which I'm sure you might disagree with me on, but there you go. <laughs> Thank you very much for your Thank time you, today. Look, I um, I found it really interesting, if also alarming, uh, the idea that their customers, you know, they've got people now coming up who were born in the 21st century. But the interesting part of that was the fact that, you know, as Mark articulates, to them, they've been they've grown up with a device in their hand, their hands, and it isn't technology; mm. it's just stuff it's just access it's just a it's a ventricle port for them isn't it our devices nowadays and um, yeah i mean it's crazy when you think of it like that what other industry does uh, pick up and drop twelve thousand users every year consistently yeah. every year you know feeding into a, a larger pool of forty thousand users and i mean even going back i mean i would i graduated how old am i 27 so six years ago mm. even six years ago it was impossible to get any it equipment out of the university you know you might be able to get a camera if you're doing a funky media shoot or something but you know you would struggle to borrow a laptop or anything like like that and the strains that it has an IT department has on the I mean strains is the wrong word but the necessary resource that has to go into an IT department is ever growing I mean I, I find it frankly fascinating because when I went when I went to university it was black and white then weren't it uh, that's right mate just a just a whippersnapper down from Newcastle 18 <laughs> years old wet behind the ears no look, look joking aside we didn't have smartphones. I had a Nokia 3310 or something. But um, Yeah. I had a desktop computer. Like, what's one of them? Um, 
and the internet at university. I, I remember logging onto the internet and being like, oh my God, it's so fast. Uh, <laughs> Wait, was that because of like bandwidth allocation at the university? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still to this day have got my fastest ever internet speed on campus rather than at yeah. home. Yeah. Oh yeah. But like going to university was like, wow, like the amount of access I've got here, tech, wow. <laughs> and actually, you know, we, we all still went to computer labs and stuff. Like there were, I would be surprised if there are still rooms on campus full of computers for people yeah, to go I and mean, use. That's all I can see when I think of IT at school and college and stuff like that is, you know, desks around the side of a room and computers facing the walls, you know, you know, you just yeah. burrowed around. But I guess like, as he says, you know, there's different ways of accessing tech now. People can essentially write a dissertation on their phones if they so desire. But can you imagine an environment and you know universities are, are often we often kind of lump them in with with public sector organizations to a, to, to a yep. degree but can yep. you think of an organization that is having to transform as quickly because you know whereas i have come into uh my career i've been at my company for 12 years so my expectations that i carried in 12 years ago there's still elements of what i kind of expect that are rooted there yep. and this organization has a bunch of people who have that uh, heritage knowledge, I suppose, inside them. So we don't continually demand more. But a university, that 12,000 in, 12,000 out, you know, a, 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 a th nearly a third of their entire customer base comes in with <laughs> completely new shifting expectations that are bang up to date with consumer technology. That is a massive challenge. Yeah, I mean, I don't envy that challenge whatsoever. I mean, I mean, and it accelerates faster and faster with every passing year as well, you know. Yeah, because well, consumer technology gets quicker. Yeah, well, exactly. And kids these days, I don't want to sound like Alan Hansen or whatever, but they're just fucking tech literate up to the eyes. Like there's four-year-olds that are ordering off Amazon and stuff like that. I mean, it's as exciting as it is frightening, I guess. Um, but I mean, I wanted to talk to you about a cultural piece here uh, yeah. and maybe specific to universities, but the outreach that they now can have really yes. kicks off the culture of a university, the tone of voice and stuff like that before they've even maybe visited it. You know, you're talking about during mm. your A-level year, getting sent literature and things like that you know rather than like when even when i was at university you'd still have to email to then get sent a physical brochure for some reason it wasn't like a pdf online so now you know you can get sent countless amount of reading to do and videos to watch and social media accounts to follows that really give these universities a personality and a cultural kickoff that yeah. just didn't exist like i don't think the university of essex's twitter account was anything outside of you know campus warnings when i was at uni well, Twitter didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, it did, definitely <laughs> didn't when you were, yeah. Um, no, you're right. Like, I, I went to university with very little idea, actually, of what to expect. Yeah. I, I, you know, beyond beyond the prospectuses. I mean, I used to yeah. go around university open days collecting prospectuses and, and stuff. Prospecti. <laughs> is, that, is that, yeah, prospectuses? I took my dad around a uni tour of Kent with my best friend, Joe, um, and my dad got into his head that he was just going to play up and be a naughty boy all day. So we were in this like literature hall listening to one of the uh, lecturers talk about one of the courses and she's blah, 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 blah. And then we'll study Jane Eyre. Oh God, no, I meant Jane Austen. Oh, what am I like? And my dad did the biggest fake laugh you've ever heard at this poor lecturer who's made a simple mistake. Like, 
<laughs> Jane Eyre, Jane Austen, <laughs> what are you like? And I'm now worried that kids are going to lose these kind of experiences because <laughs> they're just getting introduced digitally. You don't get to take your dad around campus the, anymore. The, the argument against technology, uh, well, limiting limiting the opportunity for embarrassing dads. I bet we can probably, there's probably universities out that have a virtual reality tour of the campus. And, you know, your dad can't go around sniffing the flowers then and pretending that he's into plants. <laughs> but on, on, let's face it, on the other side, of course, if that makes it more accessible to someone who's maybe from a deprived background, brilliant. Anyway, we're joking around. Look, look, Mark, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think it's a fascinating challenge that the university faces. I think you've got like the most technically advanced version of Groundhog Day ever in a very good way. Less, less, less Bill Murray, less... I was going to say gopher. It's not a gopher, is it? Punks a tawny fill is a a groundhog. Is a groundhog a gopher? Anyway, that's not relevant. They're similar. They're similar. They're similar. Okay. But but yeah, university is going through this crazy digital transformation every single year. As we mentioned in the show notes, have a look. If it sounds like an interesting challenge, there's an opportunity there for you to get involved. But Mark, thanks for coming on the show. We're going to go to our break. Stick with us. When we come back, we're going to have a piece of tech news to round off the show. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Step forward, Edward Snowden. Hello, David. Nice to meet you. That's that just a, that's a terrible impression. Sounded more like Stephen Hawking than Edward Snowden, to be honest. It definitely, definitely didn't sound like Stephen Hawking either, but never mind. <laughs> uh, right. So, look, this is an article that Edward Snowden has written in The Guardian, published this morning. So, this is hot off the press. Without encryption, we'll lose all privacy. This is our new battleground. So the US, UK, and Australia are taking on Facebook in a bid to undermine the only method that protects our personal information. This is all about end-to-end encryption. Um, Been a focus on and off for governments um, over the last four or five years, really, ever since... um, the suggestion that people should get into what, you know, the police should be able to get into Facebook and WhatsApp and find out messages, counter-terrorist threats, etc. I've often listened to security experts saying that a backdoor is a bad thing, Mm. but this article articulates it better than anything I've ever seen or read. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, E2EE or what, no, (laughs) EE2E, that first came about in my life, and I'm sure a lot of people's, when, you know, you got that first message from Facebook to tell you that all your chats are encrypted. And at the time, everyone thought, oh my God, what does this mean? Are they going to be reading all of our messages, blah, blah, blah. And it actually turns out they're doing the polar opposite to that. They're actually locking our messages you know it's literally no one else yeah. can access this and uh, you and know what they are re- removing themselves from from yeah. the middle middleman position yeah and you know what this article says is that the like you said the uk us and australian government um want to take that away so that they you know under the guise of that it's our safety and interest when in actual fact they can just read everything we do see everything we do yeah i mean proper di- like dystopian shit 
I mean, I, there's a there's a paragraph in the in the article. It is striking that when a company as potentially dangerous as mm. Facebook appears to be yes. uh, at least publicly willing to implement technology that makes users safer by limiting its own power, it is the U.S. government that cries foul. This is because the government would suddenly become less able to treat Facebook as a convenient trove of personal lives. Look, Edward Snowden, as everyone knows, um, has. There is no reason for him to be a supporter of big tech. And as he, as he says there, you know, as potentially dangerous as Facebook, he's he's clearly not on the side of big tech. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's a brilliant article. Read it because yeah. it, it so clearly articulates the push and pull and why it's so important that we do legislate uh, correctly. You know, big tech, big tech is a threat, but poor regulation could be an even bigger one. Yeah, I mean... The governments are really starting to get their big brother hats on now and, you know, really, really want to remove our freedom, it seems, you know, Um, and I don't want to sound like a constitutional American here, but, you know, they really are beginning to impose on our privacy. Uh, We already are, but hey. Yeah, look, it, it only strengthens the argument for that legislative body for tech mm. being independent. Yep, you know, absolutely. we've seen we've seen dot everyone talking about this. I think Rashaw was talking about it again uh, online this week. It, if we're going to regulate big tech, it needs to be independent because to be perfectly frank, someone like Pretty Patel is Ugh. not going to come up with sensible policy and it's going to be driven by misguided uh, kind of motives that, that just aren't going to help you and I. It's, yeah, it's it's frightening, but look, go out and read the article to educate yourselves yeah. because it's, yeah, it's it's phenomenally written. It's very well written. It's, nearly, it's, it's nearly well as, written. He's nearly as good as writing as uh, Jesse Bella Perez. Or Sean Bradley, for that matter. Hey, or Sean Bradley. Oh, Sean, if you're listening, Sean is about to embark on a research piece of writing for Vice and it is going to be an incredible piece of work. I don't want to say anything in case she doesn't want it to be talked about, but I'm sure you could, you two could talk about it, but yeah, keep an eye on Chan's uh, on Twitter because she's, yeah, she's, she's working on something good there. Anyway, that'll do for today's show. Thanks for tuning in. Jack, thanks for joining me as ever. No problemo. Um, I will hopefully see you later in the week, but if not, Monday's Tuck Shop. Yes! I'm looking forward to that. A Monday showing as well. <laughs>